Good morning. I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. I don't know if you saw last week, voters in Ohio approved a constitutional amendment establishing the murder of unborn babies as a constitutional and legally protected right. And perhaps what was most, maybe not surprising, but disturbing to me was videos I saw of crowds of people celebrating, cheering what they consider to be a major victory. I think it's plain, depending on whether or not God has opened the eyes of your heart, that we live in a world that falls tragically short of the glory of God and despises the image of God in human life. And yet, we have this guarantee in Scripture that things won't always be this way. Scripture promises a staggering, I would say almost impossible to comprehend future reality on earth in places like Habakkuk 2.14, which says, for the earth, this earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Not just filled with the glory of God on display because he's glorious, but filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, meaning this earth is going to be full of people who know the Lord, who know his glory, who love his glory, who treasure his glory. So how does God intend to fill this earth with the knowledge of his glory? And given the current state of affairs, the moral decline in our culture and rampant pride in sin and calling good evil and evil good. How will that happen? How? Or make it personal. In a world that despises the glory of God, in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, how can you glorify God with your life? There, there are lots of ways people are reacting these days to the things going on in our culture. You, you could pull your kids out of public school. You could go off grid and start homesteading. You could relocate your family from a blue state to South Dakota, which is basically like homesteading. Or you could boycott certain companies, or you could get involved in local politics. Whatever you do or don't do, if you want God to be glorified on this earth, if you want his glory to be displayed, if you want more people to come to the knowledge of his glory, then there is one thing that is absolutely essential. And I believe that's what our text in Exodus 34 points us to. I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as I read Exodus 34, 29 through 35. We stand out of our reverence for God and his holy word. These are the words of the Lord. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. 
Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let's pray. Father, we will never cease to be amazed that you speak to us through your written word. That you communicate yourself, that you give us through these words, through these true and accurate and authoritative accounts. You give us glimpses into events that happen in history, but events that are relevant to us because they reveal you, that we might know you. And so we pray, as Moses prayed, show us, please show us your glory. And especially cause us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Exodus 34, 29 through 35, provides us with a veiled glimpse, I believe, of God's purpose to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, Scripture's clear, God made man in his own image. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about man as the image and glory of God. God made man to be the image and glory of God. God made human beings to resemble him, to represent his glory on earth. But as you know, tragically, due to human moral rebellion against God, that image of God in man is fallen and distorted. It's not erased but it is distorted. Sin corrupts every part of every human being. Our thoughts, our desires, our bodies, our emotions, every one of our faculties is affected by sin. But Moses, when he comes down from Mount Sinai, he is discernibly changed by his encounter with God. And what Israel saw in Moses was a glimpse of God's purpose to fill this earth with the knowledge of his glory. They had a visible representation of that in the face of Moses. God's purpose to fill the earth with humans who know his glory and treasure his glory and reflect his glory. When Moses descended from Mount Sinai with those tablets of God's law in his hands, he represented a partial fulfillment of that plan in a striking way. Exodus 34 not only assures us that God will fulfill his original plan on earth, but it directs our attention forward to the way that God is now fulfilling that plan through Jesus Christ. And to see how this plan unfolds, let's look first at glory in the face of Moses, followed by glory in the face of Christ, and finally glory in the face of 
the Christian. We begin with this glory in the face of Moses. By far, the most dramatic, the most attention-grabbing phenomenon in this passage we just read is the radiating face of Moses. Three times the text says the skin of Moses' face was shining. And what's particularly fascinating is that the Hebrew verb translated shining here is not the normal word used for something that's shining. This word is related to a Hebrew noun that means horn. H-O-R-N, horn, like the horns of a ram or the horns of an ox. There are other Hebrew words that could have been used to describe a shining face, like the word that's used in Numbers 6.25, that blessing of Aaron, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Or there's another word used in Psalm 104.15, acknowledging God as the giver of all good gifts, gifts like wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, you know, glowing skin. Those words are not used. This verb, related to the word for horns, it it communicates a stunning image of what happened here. The sense is Moses' face was not just glowing. His face was emitting visible rays of light. The word for horns is used in connection with light in Habakkuk 3, verses 3 through 4, speaking of God and his glory. Listen to these words. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. In Hebrew, that literally says, he had horns from his hand. Rays of light. While Moses' face shining captures our attention, our imagination. I mean, just what did that look like? I was talking about this text this morning with somebody who suggested, like the, the raisin bran sun. Like rays of light coming out like horns. This is, this is why if you've seen classical sculptures or art depicting Moses, like Michelangelo's famous carving statue of, of Moses, he has horns on his head because the Latin Vulgate translates this literally horns. What did that look like? Rays of light coming from his face as a light source. That is stunning, but the cause of his shining face is equally awe-inspiring. Verse 29, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. The text mentions Moses talking with God four times. The face of Moses emitted rays of light because Moses talked with God. The, the radiating light was the result of his contact with the glory of God. When scripture speaks of the glory of the Lord, observably manifested to human senses in some way, there is usually some mention of brilliant light. Take Exodus 24 earlier in this book. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a de devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Or the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 60, verse 19, the sun shall no more be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Notice the words light and glory used in parallel there. Ezekiel had prophetic visions of 
God's glory. Take Ezekiel 1.4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud, and a cloud is often associated with the appearance of the glory of God, with brightness around it. Not a dark cloud, a bright cloud, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. These are visible displays of splendor, radiance. In fact, in both Greek and Hebrew, the words for glory carry this idea of brightness and splendor and radiance. So the radiating light from the face of Moses is a reflection of the glory of God that he encountered on that mountain. And it is proof to the people of Israel, Moses met with the Lord, and if he met with the Lord and spoke with the Lord, then what he communicates now, he communicates authoritatively on behalf of the Lord. Verse 32, and he, Moses, commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. The text not only speaks of Moses talking to God, but just as many times it talks about Moses speaking with the people on behalf of God. The, sh the shining face of Moses substantiated it. It gave authority to the words that he spoke. Look at verses 34 and 35. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded. So he is serving still as a, an intermediary between God and the people, that the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And while the luminous face of Moses is astonishing, that light indicated God was present with his people and he was present with them through his word. So what effect did that shining face of Moses have on the people of Israel? Look at verse 30. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. Why, do you suppose, might they have been afraid? Well, for one, last time Moses came down from Mount Sinai with tablets of God's law, he caught them in the middle of their idolatrous revelries, and he mediated God's judgment on the unrepentant. That might be one reason. Also, since we as human beings are so prone to think lofty thoughts of ourselves and very small thoughts of God, we tend to naively imagine what encountering God would be like, how much fun it might be. I think C.S. Lewis helpfully dispels this naivete when he writes, some people talk as if Meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. Goodness is either the great safety or the great danger according to the way you react to it, and we have reacted the wrong way. The glory of God is the brilliant display of the sum total of all that he is, all of his holiness and his righteousness and his truth and his goodness. So to sinners who have violated his righteous law and scorned his glory, to encounter that glory would be terrifying. Throughout scripture, when, when humans encounter divine glory, the response is frequently terror. 
We saw this after the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20, verses 18 through 19. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Again, if we just have any thoughts like, wow, that'd be so fun. I wish I could experience that. This helps a little bit to imagine what it would actually be like. This was Ezekiel's response in Ezekiel 44 verse 4. I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord and I fell on my face. That's what Daniel did in Daniel 8, 17. When he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. Falling down on one's face is the response when people encounter the glory of the Lord. This was John's response as well at the beginning of Revelation. Revelation 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Like a fainting goat. Just done. But he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not. Fear is the overwhelming response when people encounter the glory of God. It's understandable that the people of Israel were afraid to come near Moses because of this glory emanating from his face. But Moses does two things to reassure them. First, he called them to himself. Isn't that incredible? He called them and it says they, they returned, they came, and he spoke to them. But the other thing he does is he puts a veil over his face, which brings to mind the, the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place inside the tabernacle. Like all boundaries set by God, this was a merciful and gracious provision from God to his people. And the text indicates this, this was not a one-time event. Moses' face was radiant when he first came down from the mountain, but according to verses 34 through 35, th this was an ongoing phenomenon. The la language there is not describing what happened when he first came down. This is saying this was now the repeated custom. Whenever Moses would go into the tabernacle to talk with God, he would take the veil off. And whenever he would come out, he would talk to the people, and they would see his shining face. And then when he was done relaying God's message, he would put the veil back on. Now think about this. Moses would lead them for 40 more years through the wilderness. This is a long time for this to be going on. But all that glory in the face of Moses would be eclipsed by glory in the face of Christ. Matthew 17. I just think Exodus 34 points clearly to the New Testament. There are a couple of passages there where I want to land now. Matthew 17 recounts how Jesus once took three of his disciples up a mountain with him, Peter, James, and John. And it says, verse 2, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. You ever tried looking directly into the sun? You imagine a face shining as a light source like the sun for brilliance, blinding in its light. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. So that's a surprise. Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets there on the mountain with Jesus. And Peter and James and John are there to witness this. But the silence of this text about the face of Moses is also striking. It doesn't say anything about a shining face of Moses now, just the face of Jesus shining like 
the sun. A couple of verses later, Matthew writes, Behold, a bright cloud. We know throughout the Old Testament, that, that is the appearance of the glory of God. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Just like the shining face of Moses attested that the words he communicated were words from God, God the Father speaks and says, This is my Son. Listen to him. Listen to him underscores the authority of his words. Jesus is greater than Moses, and like Moses, he mediates a covenant between God and his people, but the glory of the new covenant that Jesus mediates eclipses the glory of the old. Paul makes this point when he comments on Exodus 34 in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. Paul writes, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Paul's first point from Exodus 34 is that the new covenant in Christ is far far greater, far more glorious than the old covenant given through Moses. But notice, he doesn't make that point by disparaging the old covenant. He has no need to put that down. Actually, multiple times he affirms that covenant came with glory. That covenant came with discernible glory in the face of Moses. It was glorious. But when the sun comes out in the day and you suddenly can't even see the glory of the stars at night, that brightness makes the brightness of the others disappear. And he says something so much brighter has come that that one, it's like it has no glory, but not because it doesn't have glory, but because something so much brighter has come. The glory of the new covenant eclipses the old for several reasons, Paul says. First, the old covenant was a ministry of death, verse 7, and a ministry of condemnation, verse 9. That, that is, the first covenant revealed God's holy law, it revealed his righteousness, it revealed his goodness, it revealed his glory, and all of that glory left men condemned to death. The new covenant, on the other hand, the reason it's more glorious is because it reveals all of that and makes men righteous. It makes men righteous. Throughout the new covenant, through the new covenant, sinners are united to Jesus so that his death satisfies the demands of God's holy law and his righteous life is credited to us. Through the new covenant, dead sinners are raised to life with Christ. Paul says in verses three and seven, the new covenant is more glorious than the old because the first one was carved on tablets of stone whereas the new covenant is written on human 
hearts. This was the promise in Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. The first covenant was external. It revealed truth from God, but it didn't confer any of that truth into the hearts of men and women. The new covenant, by contrast, is internal. God's goodness now within us so that our thoughts and our desires and our motives are changed and conformed to God and his ways. And finally, Paul says the old covenant was temporary. It was like placeholder text, whereas the new covenant in Christ is permanent and therefore vastly more glorious. Think about it like this. Imagine that you walk into a luxury sports car dealership where none of the cars cost less than six figures. There, there is a sense of glory in that showroom, right? The brand new Bugattis and Lamborghinis and Aston Martins and whatever else. The, the sheen of custom paint and chrome and pristine engines and the smell of leather and all of these features and upgrades and the price of each car reflects that glory and reinforces just how out of reach that is to most of us. Now imagine another scenario, slightly different. Imagine you get in a car accident and the other vehicle is one of those sports cars and the accident was all your fault and you totaled somebody else's $250,000 Porsche. It was beautiful. It was worth $250,000. And your relationship to that $250,000 car is one of debt. It's glorious, and it's a debt that you owe. That's the old covenant. God is glorious. He's righteous. He's holy. He's good. His moral law is perfect. And under the old covenant, that glory simply left hard-hearted people condemned to death. Relationship of human beings to that glory of God was one of debt. Now imagine different scenario. You walk into your garage and they're parked in your garage. You have to look around and make sure you're in the right house. It's a brand new Porsche and there's a note tucked under the windshield wiper that says, Dear friend, I want you to have this. The keys are inside. The tank is full of gas. Your name is on the title. This is yours. That's the new covenant. All that glory as a gift. Not a bill charged to you, but a gift credited to you. That, that's what the glory of God in the face of Jesus means for you. Christ reveals the glory of God atones for your sin against the glory of God and makes it possible for you to be united to God through himself. And when you get that, then you can see how Exodus 34 begins to give us a partial veiled glimpse into the fulfillment of God's purpose to fill this world with humans who bear his image and reflect his glory. Glory in the face of the Christian. Paul makes another point here in 2 Corinthians 3. Unlike the veiled glory of the old covenant that was limited to Moses alone, Moses was the only one who radiated this light, the new covenant makes the glory of God accessible to all people. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, Since we have such a hope, 
we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So Moses would mask his face, but Paul and all who proclaim the gospel do so, Paul says, with boldness, with unveiled faces, with open proclamation, because this gospel is for the world, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is making his glory known on earth. The, the open proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, that is God's plan. That is the way that God intends to fill this earth with the knowledge of his glory. Yet, Yes, the world is full of blind eyes and dead hearts and unbelief and people who hold the glory of God in contempt, Paul acknowledges in 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 15, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And then he says a few verses later in chapter 4, the God of this age has blinded the hearts of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's true, but there's hope, Paul goes on in verse 14, only through Christ is it taken away. That is the veil. This is the work of Christ. The veil that causes people to be blind to the glory of God, through Christ, that veil is taken away. When one, Paul says, that is when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Think about the hope of that promise. When anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Is the world full of people whose hearts are hard, whose eyes are blind, who are dead in their sin and unbelief? Yes. And when anyone who's blind turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. And Paul goes on to say in verse 18, we all, those are just astonishing words. We all, not just Moses, not just Paul, but we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That is, what happened to Moses on Sinai is now available to anyone who turns to and trusts in the Lord Jesus. That word, to turn to the Lord, is the same word Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 when he describes the conversion of the Thessalonians from idol worshipers to Christians. He says, you turned to God. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. To turn to the Lord means to trust on him, to rely on him alone to satisfy and secure you, to, to cling to him and all that he promises to be to you. When anyone does that, turns to Jesus in faith, the veil is lifted, and you see Jesus as glorious. And Paul's talking about beholding the glory of the Lord, not with our physical senses, but with the eyes of our hearts that suddenly the message of Jesus Christ crucified for your sins becomes the best news in the world to you. And you see the glory of God's grace in Christ. You see Jesus as glorious and he becomes your heart's greatest treasure. This is how God is filling the earth with people who know his glory. So what he's doing, he is opening blind eyes to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's turning rebellious sinners from death to life, from darkness to light, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 
For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Significant, light is the very first thing that God created on day one of creation. The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's like the miracle of creation. He says to a dead person, see, and he causes you to behold his glory in Christ. In Exodus 34, that means Moses is not only pointing us to Jesus, the mediator of a more glorious covenant, he is representing to us what God means to do in us. He is representing the transformational power of the glory of God in the life of every believer. What, what the Israelites witnessed in the face of Moses was the effect of the glory of God on a man who had been in the presence of God. And now, because Christ fulfilled the law and died for our sins, everyone who looks to Jesus begins to reflect the glory of Jesus on earth. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Christian, you are being changed from one degree of glory to another so that your life now emanates, radiates the glory of God. This is how God plans to fill the world with the knowledge of his glory, which means the most important thing you can do with your life this week is treasure Jesus. Behold Jesus. Look to him in faith. Whatever, it else, whatever else it is God has called you to do, do so as one who is beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. Worship him as you behold the glory of God in Christ, you become like him. As someone said, beholding is becoming. Beholding is becoming. In a world that's blind to the glory of God, that despises his glory even, this is the most important thing you can do. Worship Jesus with unveiled face. If you want God to be glorified in the world, worship Jesus. And as you do, you will be changed to be like him. And as you're changed from one degree of glory to the next, your mind will be renewed to think God's thoughts after him and your will will be conformed to want what God wants and your emotions will come out under spirit-empowered self-control and your behavior will be aligned to the truth of the gospel and God will display more of his glory on this earth. And that's only the beginning. Moses is a picture for us of what we will be forever. This gradual progressive work from one degree of glory to another, that will come to glorious completion when Christ comes again, as Paul, uh, John writes in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Let's pray. Father, you dwell in unapproachable light. And you are glorious beyond our ability to imagine or comprehend. Stunning warnings throughout Scripture. No, no one, no mere mortal could see you and live. And yet in your mercy and your goodness, you drew, drew near to us in the person of Christ who took on full humanity, 
had no beauty or glory that anyone would notice him. It was marred beyond all recognition on account of our sins to pay for the damage that we have done by treating your glory with contempt so that we might relate to your glory now not as a debt we owe but as a gift we receive and enjoy and behold and treasure and worship forever. Thank you for the glory of Christ our Savior. We are looking to you, Lord Jesus, because because we love you and we want to see you and because we want to be made like you. Would you cause your glory to be displayed in the lives of the people of Emmaus Road Church? Lord, we believe that as hundreds of people fill this city who are beholding Jesus and becoming like Jesus, that you will be glorified in this city. So we pray that you would do that for your namesake and for our joy. Amen.